Now, I'm going to finish this sermon next Sunday. So you've got to make sure that you come out next Sunday to finish it. I won't get done with it today. There's part one and part two. And so we want you to open your ears and hearts and hear what I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to convey to you. Father, we thank You for this day. Thank You for Your many wonderful blessings. We pray that, God, that You would open our ears, that our hearts, that we would hear from You, and everything that's said and done would bring You the glory. And everyone said a great big Amen. So, Matthew chapter 21, verse number 12, just very briefly, I want to read this story to you. Matthew chapter number 21, verse number 12. Just a little bit, thank you. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and all those who were selling doves. For it is written, He said to them, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers or thieves. Verse number 14, Then the blind and the lame came to Him at the temple, and He healed them. Now look at verse 14. The blind and the lame came to Him at the temple, and He healed them. Just for a few moments, I want to preach on the thought, stop having church this way. Would you say that with me as loud as you could say it? Stop having church this way. I mean, just shout real loud. Stop having church this way. Stop having church this way. You know, if you're going to improve anything in your life, you really have to take an assessment of your resources. Anything that you improve in your life, you have to take time to do an assessment of your resources. Because if you don't do the assessment of your resources, then you will never improve. I said this this morning, but I think it's worth saying again, that if you're not intentionally moving forward, you are unintentionally moving back. If you're not moving forward, you are unintentionally moving back. So there comes a time in our spiritual life and our spiritual development that we take inventory of our life and we take assessment of where we're at. And I believe that as a pastor, that one of my responsibilities is to uh, evaluate how church goes. You cannot inspect what you don't inspect. So it's important that we evaluate, evaluate how church is going. And I think that's healthy. Because if you're going to improve in anything, you always got to take an assessment of your resources. You got to take an assessment of where you're at and how you can improve what things you need to cut out, what things you need to add, it's very, very important that you do that. And I think that as a pastor, I need to do that with church. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to give you some pointers of some things we don't need to do in church that I believe that we need to stop doing in church. And it's very easy for us to do this, very easy for us to do this. And I believe that if you look at this very carefully, you will see your own life in in my message. Not just the church as plural, but singular as you, you can apply this to your life as well. Do you know what? This is very, very sad. Barna Research, excuse me, the Gallup Poll of America took a survey uh, uh, in 1999, and they said that 70% of Americans are church members. 70% of people in America attended church in 1999. The same Gallup Poll of America just took it recently and said that in 2019, 
that statistic has dropped from 70% to actually 50%. 50% of Americans consider themselves church members. Now what does that mean that you're a church member? Well, according to this poll, being a church member means that you attend church twice in a month on a Sunday morning. So two times in a month, you are attending church, and according to the Gallup Poll of America, that is considered regular church attendance. So that's really odd because they also conducted, also conducted in the same study that Christians who profess to be born again, Bible-believing, church-going, which is twice a month, don't live any different than the world. That's what they also concluded. That means in the world there's fornication and in the church there's in the world there's premarital sex in the church there's talk with me in the world there's divorce and adultery and lust and porn and struggles but in the church it's just the same right there's no difference this is what they concluded no difference there is no difference in living in the American church according to this study. Now, how many would agree with me? And they also concluded that the, ra- the way we raise our children is no different than the way the world raises their children. So, does this disturb us? How many would say, Pastor, that's disturbing? It's absolutely disturbing that there's absolutely no difference between professing Christians, born-again believers, and then those who are not Christians and not born again. There is no difference. And so, I have thought about this, and just recently, you know that just recently, two people in Christendom have come out and they have denied their faith. Joshua Harris, years ago in the late 1990s, wrote a book called Kissing, Dating, Goodbye, He was a pastor, a very prominent pastor at that, was married, had a few children. He just recently came out and said that he denied his faith. He doesn't even know it's worth living for anymore. Then we have Marty Sampson, I do believe his name, is that correct? Who sang in uh, Hillsong, a very prominent singer, just recently came out. He, He didn't deny his faith, but he said it's on shaky ground. He doesn't know whether it's worth living for yet or not. And so we are in a generation where there is, there is a tension. And we have to be trendsetters here. We have to change, ladies and gentlemen, my friends. There has to be a change. Jesus has to be more than something you say on Sunday morning. Jesus has to be more than a creed. Jesus has to be more than coming to church and taking your children to Sunday school and going home. Jesus has to be transformational in your life. I mean, come on, folks. What are we doing? Just singing our songs and coming to church? Is Jesus real? Is Jesus more than enough? Is Jesus making a change? Is Jesus transformational? Is Jesus worth living for on Sunday? Then He should be worth living for on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. He should be worth living for. That means parents, the way you raise your children. You don't raise your children according to the world. You raise your children according to the Scriptures. You don't have a marriage after the world. You have it after the Bible. 
We don't develop church after the world. We develop the church after the Bible. That means when you go to work, you are different than your employees. You don't cuss like them. You don't watch rated R movies like them. You don't have foul language like them. You are different. You're different. Jesus has to be more than just a creed. Jesus has to be more than just something that you do on Sunday morning. And listen, I'm not getting a hobby horse with watching movies. And, you know, it's, it's whatever. But you've got to make sure that whatever you put in your mouth and put in your ears and whatever you listen to, whatever you hear, it has to be nourishment instead of trash. Boy, it's getting really quiet in this Pentecostal church on this Sunday morning. Either the church is a hospital or the church is a hospice. One heals and one just makes you comfortable in dying. And I refuse as a pastor to develop a hospice care at this church to make you comfortable as you die in your spiritual growth. It's time that we rise up and be the men and women that we have called to be and be strong women of God who love Jesus with not just Sunday, but every day of our life we love Him. You know what the Bible says? This is off script, but Jeremiah 6 verse 10. Look at one of the characteristics of the last days. If they could put that scripture behind me. Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 10. I want you to see where the prophet Jeremiah was so in distress over his people. He made this statement that I find so heart-wrenching and I feel it's so applicable to our lives today. In Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse number 10, he says this, and I want you to see it. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised and they cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. That's exactly what's happening nowadays. People don't want to hear the word. It's a reproach to them. There's no delight to the Word anymore. We, we, We don't want to go to class. We don't want to learn. We don't want to develop. We want to stand and worship for 45 minutes and worship God. And then when the Word of God comes along, we want to discredit the Word of God. But I'm telling you, the thing that's going to cause us to stand in the last days is not another worship song, but it is being firm and established on the rock, which is the Word of God. Can I hear an amen? There's nothing wrong with worship. I love worship. But we've got to balance worship with the Word. Nothing wrong with it. We got to, it's all a part of Christianity. We've got to have it together. He said in the last days, there's going to be a reproach. There's not going to even be delight in the Word of God anymore. There's not even going to be a hunger. Amos said it like this. Amos said there's going to be a famine of hearing the Word. Not preaching the Word. Hearing the Word. Goes in one ear, out the other. He said, your ears are uncircumcised. You have ears, but it's uncircumcised. And you know what happens in circumcision? You all know what happens, right? They cut you in the privates. And when the Holy Spirit really circumcises you, He gets in the private places of your life and really cuts you. That's how you know you're growing is when God is dealing with the nitty-gritty private issues of your life and He circumcises you and cuts you in the private places of your life and you know you're really growing then. Come on, somebody. 
That's how you know the Holy Spirit is working. When you allow the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, whatever you got to do, I'm not going to hide my issues any longer. I'm not going to hide my faults any longer. I, I can blame everybody else. But there comes a time where I say, Lord, circumcise my heart. Cut my ears, Lord. Let me hear the secret things that belong to you. And there are some things that we need to stop doing as a church. Number one, let's stop as a church confusing stewardship with ownership. Let's stop it. The ministry don't belong to you. It belongs to God. The church don't belong to you. It belongs to God. Christ's point is not Josh Pennington's church. I am the under-shepherd. He is the great shepherd. It is His church. And if we're not careful, as we progress with the Lord and as we work for the Lord, we begin to take ownership of things that you're just a steward over. It's a gift. And you're given it for a short amount of time. You don't own anything. Can I hear an amen? And you know what happens when we think we own the church and we own the ministry? We begin to think we have rules. This person is in and this person is out. This person belongs here. This person belongs here. This person can't come and this person can come. We begin to make rule books for our organization of who's allowed in and who's allowed out when we begin to think we own the church instead of having a proper perspective that we don't own anything, we are simply stewards of what He's given us. The church is a gift. And how I treat the gift, how I treat my leaders, how I treat my brothers and sisters is a reflection of my perception of the church. You see, Jesus said this. Jesus said, listen, you have the wrong perspective. He said, you have made my house a house of robbers. Oh, you brought my Bible? Okay, give this Bible back. Thank you, Pastor Brandon. How many knows, you know, my Bible is like, I just, I just have to have it, you know, because it has all kinds of notes in here. You all know what I'm talking about. So, Matthew chapter 6 or Matthew chapter 21, what did Jesus say? Jesus said this, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of... You know what Jesus is saying? You thought you owned it. And because you thought you owned it, you turned it into a place of profit. And when we think we own the church, we look at the church as a business and a profit-making scheme. Jesus says, no, 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 you don't have the right perspective. The right perspective that it's not a profit-making business. It is a non-profit. We're not in this thing to make a profit. We are in this thing to develop disciples for Jesus Christ. And these people were making a profit in the house of God. They had the wrong perspective because they thought they owned it. Jesus says, you don't own, you don't own it. It's a gift. You don't own it. It's a gift. Number two, we need to stop. What, another thing we need to stop in the church, I believe, is that we need to stop 
liking Jesus and not being like Jesus. Isn't it ironic that lots of people love Jesus? They like Jesus. They'll wear t-shirts that says, Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is popular. Jesus is very popular in our society. Christmas is very popular. Easter is very proper. They are Christendom holidays. They're very popular. It's infiltrated the whole society. Jesus is a popular man. You walk out here and you'll see a thousand crucifixes and church steeples the time you get home today. Jesus is very popular. Jesus is very much liked. But Jesus also said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And it's going to divide husband and wife. It's going to divide husband with their children. It's going to divide husbands and their families. My gospel will bring division in your household. That's what Jesus said. You see, Jesus is really liked until you've got to get biblical, until you've got to obey Jesus, then Jesus ain't popular anymore. Until Jesus wants you to serve and Jesus wants you to live holy, Jesus ain't popular anymore. It's not about liking Jesus. It's about being like Jesus. Let's stop just liking Jesus and let's start being like Jesus. What does it mean to be a Christian? A Christian means somebody who is Christ-like, not somebody who is liking Christ. It's somebody who is like Christ. In other words, there's a difference between a fan and a follower. A fan is somebody who loves Jesus. Let's go and get a fish sandwich. Jesus has given fish sandwiches out today, so you have 5,000 people come to a Judean hillside and get a fish sandwich. But when the rubber meets the road... He only has 12 people who go home with him, and those are the followers, not the fans. Because isn't it ironic? The closer you get to Calvary, the slimmer the number is. 5,000 people, then it goes to 12 people that go home with Jesus. Then there was only three people who could pray with him in the garden, but they fell asleep. And then his best friend John was there at the crucifixion. 5,000, 12, actually 5,070, 12, 3, and 1. Because the closer you get to commitment, the numbers dwindle. It's not about being a fan. It's about being a follower. And what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It means that I am pursuing his virtues, I'm pursuing his values, and I'm looking at his vantage point. In other words, I am following his character, I'm following his priorities, and I'm following his perspective. That's what it means to be like Jesus. Because, you know, what does it mean to be like Jesus? How do you follow Jesus' example when he's 33 and single and you're 53 and married? Jesus was never married. Jesus was never 53. Jesus never had a retirement. Jesus, Jesus never done some of the things you did. How are we to follow Jesus' example? You know, you ever heard somebody super spiritual say, well, Jesus never done that. What would Jesus do? What does that actually mean to follow Jesus? It means to follow his virtues, his values, and his vantage point. 
In other words, we follow his character, his priorities, and his perspective. How does he think? How does he see things? His character. What did Jesus place first in his life? We follow that by the study of the Word of God. We find out his character, his priorities, and his perspective. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And as a church, we can't just like Jesus. We got to be like Jesus. We got to stop liking Jesus and start being like Jesus. We got to quit confusing stewardship with ownership. And let me ask you this question Why would you not want to be like Jesus? Can I ask that question again? Why would you not want to be like Jesus? Jesus is the best thing that could ever happen to you if you just surrender your life. Jesus is the greatest man in history. As a matter of fact, Jesus has divided time in two, A.D. versus B.C. Jesus is the greatest man in history. Why would you not want to follow the greatest man in history? Jesus is the lily of the valley. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the rose of Sharon. Jesus is altogether lovely. In Jesus, all the answers of the world is met. In Jesus, the serpent is crushed. In Jesus, the door of heaven is opened up. In Jesus, the fountain of salvation flows. In Jesus, there is eternal life and eternal redemption and eternal glorification. Why would you not want to follow Jesus? Why would you not want to follow him? He's the greatest man ever known to the human race. Jesus is the greatest man who ever lived. Number three, we got to stop making external judgments without addressing internal issues. Now, this is where it gets really thick up in here. And I'm cooking in the kitchen, and there's so much smoke, I can't even see you. It's getting thick. But sometimes what the church is good at is being a critic of the culture. Stop that. Don't do that. You shouldn't do that. When really, reality, God has never called us to be a critic of the culture. He's called us to be salt and light and develop a community by which the world looks at us and says, I want to be a part of that. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to develop a culture in such a way that people look at us and say, I don't know what you have, but I think I, wanna, I want that. In other words, I don't have to fear working in the workplace. They're not going to rub off on me. If anything, they're gonna, I'm going to rub off on that the world has to get fearful because if they're around me too much, they may start acting like me. What is it with Christians acting like the world? Don't you have enough Holy Ghost on the inside of you that when you get around people who don't believe in Jesus, that there's enough of the love of God inside of you that it spills out of you into them? Why are you always acting like them? Is their God greater than your God? And sometimes we want to point our fingers to the rappers when we better point our finger to the reverends. 
We want to point our finger to the politicians, but let's point our finger to the pastors and those who sit in church pews. Let's deal with our own issues because we have enough issues in the church for us not to be pointing fingers to the world. Let's develop a community and a way of life at this church that people will look at and say, I don't know what you got, but you're making me hungry to have that because we are salt. We make people thirsty for what? We should make people thirsty. Let's make people thirsty for Jesus. Let's not deal with external judgments when we have to deal with our own internal issues. Number four, now, don't fall out. You ready for this? Don't fall out. You ready? Number four. Everybody say, I'm ready, Pastor. I mean, everybody shout, I'm ready. I mean, one more time. On the count of three. One, two, three. Put your seatbelts on. All right, number four. You ready? Stop. Come on, guys. Number four. Stop being arrogant and ignorant. Now, I just, I just said, I'm just teaching a Bible class. I'm going to go home, but I'm going to say it again. Don't be arrogant and ignorant. I just wish I had somebody in this church to wave your hanky and say, I know you're preaching right there. Just park it a little bit. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced that some of our convictions are not convictions. You're just arrogant. Some of your standards are not standards. You're just prideful. Some of your doctrines are not doctrines. They're dogmas. Listen to me. God's Word is true, but your interpretation of it is not always right. Can I say that again? The Bible is God's Word. It's true. It's infallible, indispensable, inerrant. Every word is true. But your thinking and interpretation of the Bible is not always right. Now why is it when people leave the church and get mad at the church and get mad at the pastor and get mad at religious things, they're like, well, you know, I didn't like it. So you know what we're saying? This is what we're saying. Since I don't like it, God don't like it. See how humanistic our philosophy is in the world? Because you don't like it, God don't like it. I don't like that church service. So we leave. And we think, we assume God don't like it. Well, let me tell you something. I love you, but let me just break, break, break it down. If you have to consult with your opinions and ideas and you're always right, you could be worshiping an idolized version of yourself. If your God never disagrees with you, you're probably worshiping an idolized version of yourself. And once in a while, I've learned in my relationship with God, most of the time, I'm wrong. Because His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I don't understand everything about God. And all I'm supposed to do is trust His sovereignty. And you know what happens? Now, I'm, I'm just going to say this. 
your level of growth only your, you only grow to the level that you're willing to be taught. Now I'm going to say that again, and I'm not insecure, so I don't need your amens because I already bought one and brought it with me. But if you do agree with me, and you think you know, you think that's applicable to your life, just just wave it a little bit here. Let me see. You ready? The only you only grow to the level that you're willing to be taught. So in the church, this is what happens. We only become teachable to people who are in our group. We're teachable to people who look like us. We're teachable to people who dress like us. We're teachable who, to people who have the same process of thinking like us. And we're teachable to people who believe the same things that we believe. So therefore, we become ignorant of anything else instead of what's in our little group and tribe. And if that's the case, if you only believe whatever's in your group and whatever's in your tribe, and you only are teachable, and you only take correction from people who are like you and believe the same way like you, then everybody in your tribe or community has the same blind spots. So in other words, the Pentecostals don't have it all right. The Baptists don't have it all right. The Methodists don't have it all right. The Nazarenes don't have it all right. The Presbyterians don't have it all right. Catholics don't have it all right. But we can learn something from them all. Now, you say, well, Pastor, I only am going to be teachable to people I like and agree with. Now, how many still with me? Because I'm getting ready to land this plane. Let you go get your fried chicken. Let you go home. And you can marinate on everything I just said. But i got to say this before you all go home. And I'm not saying the word closing. I'm going to say the word bonus. Come on, somebody. Everybody shout bonus. Everybody shout bonus. Are you ready? Now listen. I only agree with people I like, Pastor. I only, I only receive correction, and I'm only going to be teachable. Listen, for you to be ignorant and arrogant, it's one thing to be one, one of them. It's dangerous to be both. Education is expensive, but so is not ignorance. Now, and that's a core value in my life, always learning and growing. And you, I, that's a core value. Always reading books, always reading, always listening. And, and anybody that knows me knows I'm preaching what I'm, I, I'm declaring what I'm preaching. I'm always learning and growing. That's a value of my life. And so I have a problem with people who don't have that mindset. Now, I love people, but I expect people to grow. And I expect that if you've been in the church for 30 years, you shouldn't be wearing diapers. Can I hear an amen? You should grow up in the Lord. Can I hear an amen? You should be following the virtues, values, and His vantage point. There should be this intentional part of me that wants to grow in God. So, Luke chapter 10, now get this. Luke chapter 10, 
The Bible says, verse 29. Luke chapter 10. Now I want you to see this. Don't lose me, okay? Luke 10, verse 29. Do they have it behind me? Now just, I'm going to read it quickly, okay? Uh, but wanting to justify him, he said to Jesus, and who is my, everybody shout, then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jericho to Jerus uh, Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among the thorns, was stripped, who stripped him of all his clothing, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest who came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. Verse 32. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by the other side. Verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, everybody shout Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, saw him and had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged up his wounds, poured some oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to the inn, took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. Verse 36. Now get this. So which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Verse 37. He said, He who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, Go and do likewise. Hold on. A Samaritan is a half-breed, basically. Jew and Gentile. They, Jews hated the Samaritans. As a matter of fact, they believed that the Samaritans didn't have everything right. The Jews accused the Samaritans of not worshiping right. They worship at a mountain separate from the place that the Jews worship. The Samaritans had wrong doctrine. They didn't believe everything right. As a matter of fact, Jews didn't even like the Samaritans. And do you know what Jesus is teaching us here? Jesus is teaching us that you should learn from people that sometimes you don't like. Jesus is telling us that you can learn from somebody that you don't like. You can learn from somebody that don't have it all together. He didn't have all the right doctrines. They didn't have it all together. If you're going to be teachable, you've got to learn to be teachable whether that person has all the information or not, or whether that person is perfect or not. Sometimes in God's plan, He wants you to learn from a Samaritan. What do y'all think about that? I mean, what do y'all thought? What do y'all think about that? It's hard, isn't it? But that's our society, the American society. If we don't like somebody, we close ourselves off. We're not teachable. If they don't dress like us, talk like us, have our mindset, I ain't listen to you, because you might contaminate me. And those same people usually stay in the same box dealing with the same issues and the same problems over and over and over, and they're in functional bondage, and they never realize that God is really, the reason that you're in that place is because God is really trying to get your attention and show you some things that you need to change in your life, but you're so busy learning from your own tribe. Of course, your boyfriend and girlfriend and people closest to you is going to think you're wonderful.
That's not how you grow. You have to have somebody honest. In closing, I did it. How many things I can finish in two minutes? How many things Pastor Josh can finish in two minutes? Let me hear it. Oh, that is so poor. Let me say it one more time. How many things I can do in two minutes? Oh, it's so weak. Pastor Ingo, I need to prove. I, I just need to do it, okay? It's 12.07. Depending if it's getting ready to change and give me two minutes, you know what I'm saying? So. Are you all ready for this? Are you ready? I just got two more. Number, number, let's see, five. Number five, stop putting preferences over God's priorities. Church, we got to stop it. It's not about preferences. It's God's priorities. And what is God's priorities? To develop people to look like Jesus, to follow Jesus, to be obedient to Jesus. Let's put His priorities for... Listen, listen. The church corporate worship was never created as a substitute for your deficit all week. So you know some of you don't pray. Some of you don't. Come on, let's get real. A little prayer in the car, a little prayer at night, read a few scriptures, and then we think Sunday morning should be a substitute for our deficit. I'm coming to get my praise on. I'm coming to get my glory on. Is it really about getting your praise on? It's the church service. I got one minute. Was never created. Was never created for a substitute for your devotional life. You say, Pastor, you can't judge me. I'm not judging you. Gallup Poll of America stated in America, the average Christian only prays two minutes a day, the average pastor is five minutes a day. I'm not saying you do that. I'm saying that's the average. And if that's the average, because I don't know your walk, if that's the average, then you can see the fruit of it in our society. So, number six. Stop being so sacred that you can't say I'm sorry. Can I just say that again? I think, I, think that's, I think we all should just say it. Ready? One, two, three. Yeah, quit being so holy and sacred that you can't admit that you did something wrong. Is that spelled right? What, is, what does it say? And seriously, I... Is that... Scared? Well, you know, that's true, too. That is so true. Because you all know you don't want to say I'm sorry to some people. Whether you're scared or too sacred, let's make sure I so say I'm sorry. Do you know I'm sorry can mend a relationship? I'm sorry can mend people back together again. I'm sorry, can put people and relationships back together, churches back together, just admitting that we've done wrong. Let's stop being too scared or sacred to say, I'm sorry.